Several years ago, I ordered a print of a painting that I wanted to hang in my office. And when I was considering that, I had some qualms because it wasn't the usual kind of painting that hangs in a pastor's office. The painting depicts the final judgment. In the middle of the painting, there is a graveyard. And because it is the resurrection from the dead, people are stepping out of those graves. And they're being judged, and they are being separated to the right and to the left. The angels are guiding the people on the right, and demons are prodding and grabbing and dragging people on the left. The people on the right get clothed with white robes to enter into the light that radiates from Jesus. And the people on the left tumble down into the chaos and the flames of hell. This painting, this painting hangs immediately in front of my desk. So when I look up from my computer, this rather large print is what I see. I got this painting for me, for my benefit, but I was a little concerned about what people might think when they visited my office. What can be offensive to people is that this painting is saying, this is how it is, and this is how it will be. All people and every individual either goes to the right or to the left. Every individual either goes to heaven or to hell. The natural question is, well, what about me? Which way will I go? And what about those that I love? This painting brings to the fore something that most people don't think about, or at least not seriously. When someone is dying, or when someone has died, the automatic answer for their ultimate destination seems to always be heaven. It's always heaven. If there's any doubt, they're in heaven. If I chopped off the left side of that painting, that would maybe be more in accord with the way that people think. Of course, the way that we think is one thing, and the truth may very well be another. I, in fact, noticed yet another detail about this painting that I've looked at for years while I was working on this sermon, and that detail is that there are more people who are being driven into hell than there are people who are being escorted into heaven. And this is in accord with Jesus' words. There will be more who take the broad and easy road that leads to hell rather than the hard and narrow way that leads into heaven. I don't enjoy thinking about people going to hell any more than anybody else does. Frankly, it frightens me and horrifies me, actually, 
when I think of specific people. I see the reason why people say that hell doesn't exist or that it's practically impossible to end up there. If that's the case, then we don't have to worry about anything. We can all live our lives however we want. To hell with God's commandments. You do what you want. What you think is good enough. And then, at the end of it all, we can have a nice celebration of life service. And to be sure, nobody's the wiser. You can't tell the difference. When an unbeliever dies, the corpse looks just the same as a believer's corpse. You don't see demons pulling on it, dragging it into hell against the person's will. The slight smile that the undertaker puts on it is the same as everybody else's. If their corpse is smiling just like everybody else's, then why not live how you want? Why not follow your thoughts? They're probably wiser than that dusty old Bible's thoughts anyway. Lots of smart people say that that Bible is hopelessly outdated. These arguments evidently are extremely persuasive. Very few worry about they themselves going to hell, even though they live in rebellion against God. They habitually, purposely live against God's commandments. Even very few Christians can stand the thought of a loved one going to hell. Even very few pastors can bear the scorn and the hatred if they refuse to give an honorable funeral full of sweet nothings to someone who did not live as a Christian. So, of course, our congregations do not have the strength to discipline or eventually remove those who are living unrepentantly and therefore are living in such a way where they are preparing themselves for hell. It is very common for Christians to complain about the decline of the church. All the congregations are getting smaller, and shame on those younger generations. Tisk, tisk, tisk. They should come back to church after they've sowed their wild oats, just like we came back to church after we sowed our wild oats. We sold our wild oats, but then we settled down when we had the kids. But maybe the younger generations are just more honest and clear-headed. Why should they participate in an organization that acts like it doesn't believe in heaven and hell? What purpose does Jesus serve if we can just ignore the possibility of hell, wish it out of existence, and thereby no longer fear it? I mean, honestly, what kind of savior would that be? Jesus is a savior from something that we need not fear in the first place? It's pathetic. Grandpa Jones, that 
old blasphemer had just as nice of a smile and just as honorable of a funeral as anybody who is faithful, who suffered, who fought, and barely held on. Actions speak louder than words. Giving funerals for everyone and anyone powerfully teaches that the church isn't really in the truth business. They're in the being polite business. The truth is that the church is supposed to teach us to fight against our sinful flesh. If we stumble and fall, may we be forgiven and lifted up, but then we fight some more. The assumption of forgiveness, the assumption of going to heaven, I think this has to be one of the manifestations of the Antichrist. The assumption that you're forgiven no matter what, you're going to heaven no matter what. Anybody with half a brain draws the conclusion that repentance and faithfulness and sacrificing and suffering and bearing the cross, all of these things are stupid because they're worthless. You don't need them. Live as selfishly as you can. Or, if you're a little wiser, as selfishly as you can get away with. That's how you play the game. It might seem that the assumption that everybody goes to heaven is tolerant and loving. But underneath it is actually something profoundly evil. Where people are encouraged not to fear God. That's what's really going on. We have a difficult challenge before us as Christian people and as a congregation. We must be willing to be different. We must renounce this assuming that everybody is going to heaven regardless of their lives, regardless of whether they've made use of the means of grace. We must begin being serious with one another when we have fallen into sin Unrepentant sin is what brings people to hell. We must help one another. And is this fun to deal with sin? No. Is it helpful? Absolutely. Imagine someone who has gotten an infection in their leg, and it's swollen and nasty and full of pus so that it gives off an awful smell. To clean it out, will hurt like the dickens for the patient, and it will be very unpleasant for the doctor, too. But what's the alternative? Just let it go? Hope for the best? That's what we've been doing for a long time as congregations. We haven't cared enough to get our hands dirty in the muck and in the pus. We don't help people who need help. The goal, it seems, is just to get them to come on Sunday mornings and give their offerings. If they give their offerings, that will keep the lights on for yet another year. Is it any wonder, then, that God has punished our land, emptying our churches? What purpose can these churches serve if they won't lift a finger to help 
in the very thing that God cares about the most. And what does God care about the most? There's no mystery about that. All four of the Gospels emphatically state, after Jesus rose from the dead, that he gave his Christians what they were to be about. Repentance and forgiveness in Jesus' name is to be preached to all people because Jesus is the Savior of sinners, the Savior of sinners from the hell that they otherwise deserve. Repent and be baptized, Jesus says. Whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Whosoever sins we forgive, they are forgiven them. Whosoever sins we retain, they are retained. By essentially, practically, denying the possibility of anybody going to hell, we've lost the reason for our existence. Why repent? Or be forgiven. There's no need to clean out the wounds. To bandage people up. And return them to health. Because supposedly they'll survive regardless. Think again of that patient I made up. Let's say that we all pretend that it's impossible for such a patient to die. Well, why then would the doctor go to the trouble of cleaning it out when it's all messy and nasty and smelly. And the patient would be happy too because cleaning it out hurts like the dickens. Of course, the patient still has the infection, nasty as ever, but everybody just lives and let's live. So also our people and we ourselves have horrible spiritual infections. Here's a list from Paul's letter to the Romans and see if it doesn't fit to the T. It's like he wrote it today. We are full of all unrighteousness, having sex with all sorts of things that are not our spouse, having no qualms, never being satisfied with what we have but always wanting more, mean, full of Envy, murder, unable to get along with others, dishonest, ornery, gossiping, condemning, haters of God, proud, haughty, inventing ways to be evil, dishonest and disobedient to parents, devoid of understanding untrustworthy, unaffectionate, unmerciful. All these infections make the patient miserable, but they go unaddressed, and the infections get worse and worse. Maybe we hope that they'll just heal themselves, but there is only one physician who can heal these infections, and that is Jesus. The way that Jesus works as the physician is by means of Christians who are believing enough to speak his word. And may we be such Christians in this congregation. Christians help each other as they themselves have been helped. Christians comfort each other in their afflictions as they themselves have been comforted. We have been given God's commandments to diagnose 
our spiritual maladies. We've been given the forgiveness of sins as the remedy. We have been given new birth in baptism. We've been given the body and blood of Jesus to eat and to drink, to strengthen our faith and the fervency of our love. These work the cure. These forgive sins now and going forward. And at the end, at the resurrection from the dead, there is the promise of complete and total healing. At the end, there will be complete and total healing. And that complete and total spiritual healing will be tremendous and beyond anything that we can imagine. We all have been born into this world diseased with all kinds of infections. We have our latent pockets all over. That is why Jesus says that no flesh can see the kingdom of God, and we have to be born again by the water and the spirit in order to see the kingdom of God. Even whatever spiritual healing God works in us Christians in this life is going to be incomplete. God does indeed help us. But we continue to have our flesh, and so we stumble and fall, and may God lift us back up again so that we may fight yet another day. But with heaven and with the resurrection from the dead, it is finished. Our sinful flesh dies, and the resurrected flesh will not have sin in it. And since we have never experienced anything like that in this life, we can't really imagine it. We will experience it for the first time in the life to come. Popular notions of the life to come do not really have any healing that goes with it. Sure, aches and pains get taken away, but heavenly heaven is supposedly the place for doing your hobbies, a better version of this life. As it turns out then, in a way, with that painting that I began with, it's not just hell that gets chopped off. The true heaven gets chopped off too. No spiritual healing is even on the radar. Heaven's just kind of a lame continuation of this life without any spiritual transformation. But that cannot be. Jesus did not, continue, did not come to this earth so that we can play checkers. But things cannot go on as they have. Good has to get better, and bad has to get worse. We now live in the time of grace when good and bad are all mixed up together. And the goal we should have for ourselves is to sort out the good from the bad. And the good is not from our sins or our deceitful desires. The good comes from God. And the bad is from our infections. We need to be students, that is, disciples, to learn what is good and what is bad. And we learn, need to learn to love the good and hate the bad. It is by loving God and what is good that we fight the fight of faith. It is by faith in Jesus that we may look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Heaven truly is glorious. It is real, far from an assumption. And Jesus sacrificed himself in order to purchase you so that you may go there. The peace of God that transcends all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.